Well, I think I know most of you out here, but for those of you who don't know me, I'm Dan Rosebrock. My wife, Laura, and I have been part of the Fairlawn community here for a little over five years, and we love this church. We love this community, and I'm excited to be up here again uh, to bring the message. We're actually closing out our study of the book of Galatians today, right? It's been a great study uh, that Paul's laid out for us here, inspired by the Holy Spirit, as he is encouraging the early church in Galatia to remember the gospel, to remember the gospel and to grow in it together as a community. So we're going to recap a little bit, set the stage for where we've come in this study. Now while I'm doing that, you can flip open to Galatians 6. Um, So you'll already be there and ready to go. If you're an overachiever, go ahead and flip open to Matthew 18 as well. This will be the main passages. Galatians 6 and Matthew 18. So to set the stage here a bit, the Apostle Paul himself Inspired by the Holy Spirit, the author of this book, of Galatians, you know, where did he come from? If you remember back in the book of Acts, um, Paul actually used to be known as Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus, he actually resided and cheered on the, the stoning, the execution of one of the early, of early church's first martyr, Stephen. Stephen, inspired by the Holy Spirit, had basically just called out the Jews He had called them out (laughs) for nothing but an outward pietism and and self-righteous works that had nothing to do with the cleansing on the inside of their hearts or for truly wanting to be conformed to Christ. So he had called them out, Stephen had. He was stoned, and Saul of Tarsus was standing there. It says, standing there, applauding it. Yes, that's what he deserves. He got what he deserves. Saul hated the early church for the passion. He was zealous for the ritualistic and ceremonial laws of his fathers, of the Old Testament. Okay? So that's his background. And on the way, on the road to Damascus, where he was going to persecute even more early believers, Jesus Christ himself appeared, came down to Saul, spoke to him the true message that he is Lord, that Jesus Christ is Lord, And gave him the true message of the gospel. And from that point on, Saul's life, as he would become Paul, was of course never going to be the same. Nor was the trajectory of early church growth. Paul would go on numerous missionary journeys, spreading the beautiful message of the gospel. Training up leaders. And then encouraging them, exhorting them as they moved on to maturity in their faith. And in the book of Galatians here, as is our natural posture of our heart, I believe, early Gentile believers had started to tread back to self-righteousness and works of the law. They had trusted and believed in Christ alone for their salvation. They believed that gospel and they, they took it to heart. But now, some of Paul, or maybe I should say Saul's old colleagues, were coming in, Judaizers coming in saying, listen guys, no, it's... That's great. That Jesus stuff is great. But actually, this is what you need to do to be right with God. You follow this. You follow this. You follow this. Ritualistic laws. Heaping up burdens on people. And Paul has to come in to set this straight. Has to come in and say, no. Guys, remember the true gospel. So he starts off with his apostolic authority. He has to establish that in the first chapter or two saying, guys, this is not my opinion, right? This is not my opinion of things. 
God in Jesus Christ came down and I received this message from him. He establishes his authority. He actually has to go to some of the early apostles in the church and Peter and John be like, guys, listen, have I, are we on the same page here? Or have I been running my race in vain? And Paul never doubted that his message was wrong. He was just like, guys, what are we doing? The cross is going to be robbed of its power if we just lean back on legalism and self-righteousness. But it says in Galatians that, that Peter and John actually extended to Paul the right hand of fellowship and was like, no, listen, we're with you on this. We're with you on this. And that is huge. They preserved the truth of the gospel for us there. So as Paul lays out his apostolic authority, he then moves into the beautiful doctrine of justification by faith alone. Right? One of the songs we just sang, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. The gospel. He lays that out in the middle section of us for Galatians. And are we resting in that today? He was reminding the early believers there in Galatia, are you resting in that? Are you resting in that? Because every other religion or belief system in this world is how can we build a staircase somehow up to God, somehow up to this impersonal God so that he will maybe look down upon us after we've done enough to accept us. But you see, the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God came down to us while we were yet sinners, died on the cross, was risen on the third day, and right now is sitting at the right hand of God interceding for us as believers. Do we believe that? Paul says, remember the gospel. And then in Galatians 5 and 6, he moves into some very practical exhortation for for that church and for us today. He says, okay, now in light of the gospel, in light of this truth, in light of the freedom that you have in Christ, how then is a gospel community should we live and grow? How do we live and grow? Now last week, Keith laid out for us the spirit versus the flesh. Are we walking by the spirit and bearing that fruit, or are we walking by the flesh? He brought up a list of sins that we'd rather just not think about, because those, those could never really encroach us as believers. <laughs> but yet they do at times, do they not? As if we walk by the flesh, we'll be enticed, and we'll be in bondage once again to sin. But if we walk by the Spirit, there will be freedom. There will be fruit that flows from that. Not as an end goal in and of itself, but as a gauge, as Keith told us. An overflow, a byproduct of a relationship ongoing with Jesus Christ as we abide in him. Now think about that list of the fruit of the Spirit. That love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. I mean, I want more of that, right? I think if we look at that list and say, yes, sign me up. We have to understand that that's only through an ongoing relationship and a maturing in our faith as we abide in Jesus Christ. Not to earn our salvation. That's already been taken care of for all of us here who have rested in Christ alone for our salvation. Okay? So before we get into Galatians 6 here, hopefully everyone's had enough time to get there, um, that's setting this up, right? And we all still struggle with the flesh. Let's just acknowledge that. Let's acknowledge that. 
Because if we don't, then every time we come to church, every time we're part of this community, we come together. It's basically like a job interview, I guess. Let's conceal all of our weaknesses when we talk about our strengths and we can just have another meeting of the Mutual Admiration Society, I guess. Let's just get together, talk about how great we are, and leave it at that. We acknowledge that we still battle sin. Okay? We still battle sin. So how do we continue to grow in light of the gospel truth with knowing that? If you can follow along with me in Galatians chapter 6. Everyone else is probably there except me. One second. Okay. Galatians 6, starting in verse 1. We'll read down through verse 5. Paul says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression or sin, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Hmm. So we're talking about walking by the Spirit versus the flesh. He says, okay, for those of you who are walking by the Spirit, we should seek to gently restore a brother or sister. Okay? That's the motivation of our heart. Now let's flip over to Matthew 18, and we'll dig in a little bit deeper. Matthew 18, just three verses here, verses 15 through 17. 15 through 17. This is laying out some things for us to do if there is ongoing, unrepentant sin, right? We all sin. This is talking about habitual sin, a pattern of sin. This is taking place in someone who claims to be a follower of Christ. He says now, Matthew 18, starting in verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Now some of us, myself included, especially in light of things going on in the quote-unquote Christian community right now, people condoning things that are, should not be condoned. We can like, we like this and like, yes, lay down the law. It is time to lay down the law. But yet, what is the motivation for us even following these steps? I think we'd rather just go right away to that last step, kick people out who are struggling with, with unrepentant sin or habitual sin, who are in bondage to things. They're in bondage. We would rather just kick them out and be done because it'd be a lot more comfortable in here if they just were not a part of us. I've maybe thought that sometimes. I don't know. They've had enough chances as if I myself can even say that. What is the motivation of our hearts? It says in Galatians 6, we are to restore one another. Right? We don't condone sin. Absolutely not. But as we walk in community in light of the gospel, we can actually go to a brother or sister and say, listen, I love you. 
I gotta tell you, you are not walking in line with the truth of the gospel in this area of your life. Do we have the type of relationships where we can do that? Are we ourselves growing in our relationship with the Lord, abiding in Jesus Christ alone? Not in perfection. We all still sin, but in the direction of our lives and our hearts that we can actually go to them and seek restoration. Be it the first one-on-one confrontation or when we take two or we go as a group or we bring it up to the church. The last step there says we treat them as a Gentile or even a tax collector. That means, okay, they have a calloused heart. They're cut off from membership of the community, but what is still the motivation to be? restoration restoration no matter what step in that process we are on we continue to grow in the gospel ourselves and we continue to preach the gospel to each other and to apply it to every corner of our hearts so we are not treasuring anything else more than supremacy of christ in our lives so where are our hearts today What's the motivation? What's the motivation for going to another brother or sister in love to restore them? Now continue along with me here. Galatians 6, we'll pick it back up in verse 7. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will reap from the Spirit eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let us do good to everyone, it says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Guys, Church, in Jesus Christ, God is for us. Right? God is for us in Jesus Christ. My question would be is, are we for each other in light of that gospel truth? In light of Jesus Christ, are we for each other? Because if we're not, we can really easily slide into comparative sanctification, comparative holiness. Well, I mean, I'm not doing that bad. I mean, look at this. Look at this guy. Look at this. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, but wow. In comparison, I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. And that can be our hearts at times. That can be my heart at times. But that is not our view. That is not what our view should be. We are for each other in light of the gospel. And we go to each other. And we walk beside one another in gospel truth. And we seek to grow more and more in that. It says we reap what we sow. Okay? We reap what we sow. So that's an agricultural principle that's applied metaphorically here, right? Talking about the moral and spiritual realm. You know, sowing seeds and what will come from that. So what are we doing to sow those seeds? Don't get me wrong here. Not to earn our salvation. That is a gift. That has been a gift for all of us who have trusted in Christ alone. That is bestowed on us. Right? But actually in Jesus Christ then it says, the gospel of the kingdom says now, we are no longer our own. <laughs> Christ is king. Therefore we seek to honor him. 
and to grow in spiritual maturity. 2 Peter 3.18, you don't have to turn there. 2 Peter 3.18 says, we are to continue to grow both in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's how Peter, Paul's colleague, actually the one Paul had to call out for not walking in line with truth of the gospel earlier in Galatians, that's what Peter closes out with, with his epistle later in the New Testament. He says, guys, continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And in 1 Peter 2, 2, he says, we, as we seek maturity, as babies are to crave pure spiritual milk so that by it we may grow up in our salvation now that we have tasted that the Lord is good. Now notice the distinction here, please. We are to grow up in our salvation. That is speaking of spiritual maturity and growth. That's not speaking of earning our salvation. It says we need to continue to abide in Jesus Christ, grow in the grace and knowledge of him individually and as families and as a church community and let that overflow and there will be fruit. But remember, Keith said last week, he said there is a command followed by a promise. It says walk by the Spirit, that'd be the command, and you will not you will not give in to the desires of the flesh. Right? You remember that? So what are we doing to stir up our affections for Jesus Christ and the gospel? How are we filling ourselves up to sow that good seed? So we're not so inward focused every day. Maybe we could potentially be outward focused and tell others about the beautiful message of the gospel as Christ himself continues to work in us for his glory and for our fruitfulness. What are, we, what are we doing on a daily basis? We're talking about spiritual maturity now and growth. Not about earning salvation. <laughs> in light of that salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ, what are we doing to grow? What are we doing? How are we filling up more and more? Guys, we're to be saturated by the word of God. We're to be saturated by the word of God to the point it controls us. In Ephesians, Paul talks about, he actually equates it to, he says, don't be drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I'm sure no one here has ever seen a drunk person, but uh, they are controlled. If they are intoxicated, they are completely controlled by that. (laughs) Everything is dominated by that when they are intoxicated. He actually says we are to be controlled by the Holy Spirit through the word of God like that. It is to control us. It is to compel us. We understand that. We are to be controlled by it, and we are to fill our minds up with things of him. Colossians 3 says, think on things above, not on things below. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. What are we filling up on? Let's get real practical. If you want to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. I'm sorry, Philippians 4. Philippians chapter 4. Another epistle that Paul writes to the church actually in Philippi. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, lovely, commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. 
what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Some translations say, put into practice. Practice practice these things. Put into practice. So on a functional day-by-day basis, what are we filling up with? What are we sowing? Are we filling up on the stale crackers of the world? (laughs) When we have the stake of the gospel and of Jesus Christ, they're waiting for us? What are we filling up on? We can wonder why and sometimes be walking in the flesh and start to be pulled back into things maybe that we haven't even struggled with for a long time, but all of a sudden, as we walk by the flesh and we are not filling up and we are not living in community, we are not practicing confession and repentance, we are not walking in love and truth with each other, those things can seek absolutely to pull us back down. They can. We once again will be in bondage. Galatians 5.1, our theme verse says, it is for freedom that we have been set free. Therefore, we are to stand firm and no longer be yoked by burden of slavery. It is for freedom that we have been set, been set free. Guys, we don't do good works then, of course, to earn God's favor or somehow put him on our debt. We do that. We do good works. We desire more of him because we have tasted that he is good. And we want him to be glorified. And we want fruit being bared in our lives. You know, we could just come out with a list here. 150 rules. And we'll just all continue to, we'll just start following them. You know, because that's really how we how we follow Christ is coming up with a large list of rules and then following them and making sure our sin radars are up and making sure everybody is following those things. That's, that's legalism. But instead as a church body, I would suggest that instead of looking at things, decisions in your daily life based on what is allowable or not, we should make decisions based on what is edifying to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, who died that we may be reconciled to God and walk in that faithfulness together in gospel maturity. I'm speaking to myself here too. And please understand, as we're going through Galatians and it is so freeing to say, you're right, it's not legalism. It is by grace alone that we are saved. Amen. Then we can also perhaps turn to the point of, well, that means I'll just kind of coast in my life, do what I want to do, and things will be fine. I mean, I have my ticket punched. I'm going to live how I want to live. Let me just say this. It is not legalism to make wise, godly choices for yourself and your family as to what you're going to allow into your mind, what you're going to allow your eyes to see, what you're going to do with your time, what are you going to do with your money and your resources you've been blessed with? That's not legalism if you're doing it because you want more of Jesus, because you have tasted that he is good, and you want to continue along in that pathway of sanctification. Now, if you're begrudgingly doing some of those things because you think that somehow God is going to be in your debt now, hey, I haven't been, 
I haven't been getting wasted on the weekends and I'm not having premarital sex and this and this and this, so God, you owe me. Mm, no, he doesn't. But while we were yet sinners, he died for us. Jesus Christ died to conquer and pay for the penalty of our sin and to absolutely crush the power of sin and bondage that seeks to keep us down. What are we doing to grow in the gospel and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Maybe as families this week, you can just get together and just practically talk about these things. But you must start with the fact that we rest in Jesus Christ alone, his atoning work on the cross for our salvation. We are depraved sinners in need of a savior. And God sent his own son into the world to provide us with that gateway to him. And Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal life. But I think sometimes we can also think that we start by the gospel and then somehow turn and continue on now on our own power. But Tim Keller would say, the gospel is not just the ABCs of the Christian life, it is the A to Z of the Christian life. Does that make sense? The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just the gateway to get our ticket punched, if you will. It is the pathway to life, to true life. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Eternal life is not simply talking about heaven someday. It's talking about knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is eternal life. That is life to the full. That is life where we make decisions based on what edifies him. And we walk in love, in community, together. Because we want more of him. And there is a world out there that is broken and dying and in need of the message, the gospel of Jesus Christ. But sometimes we can be so caught up in our own issues. We can be so inward focused if we are walking by the flesh and not daily filling up on Jesus Christ and not daily walking together that we're not going to be used all that often by Christ if we are not going to him. That fruit is an overflow of our relationship with him. The gospel is what saves, it is what sanctifies, and is what sustains us as we abide in Jesus Christ. John 15, 5. Jesus says to his disciples, I am the vine. You are the branches. We are the branches. Whoever abides in me will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. Let's close out Galatians here. If you can flip back. We're going to read Paul's it says, final, final warning and benediction here in Galatians 6. If you can follow along with me, we'll read from verse 11 through the end of the chapter. Paul says, See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but 
Yet they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. So how do we live and grow together in a gospel community in light of the message of salvation in Christ alone? Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. God is for us in Jesus Christ, and we are for each other as we together grow our roots deeper and deeper in the gospel. And as that fruit flows, we reach out to others with this joyful message of life. Amen? Please pray with me. Lord God, thank you so much for the beautiful message of the gospel in Jesus Christ. I pray we continue to grow our roots deeper into it, Lord, and understand and apply the gospel to every area of our lives, Lord Jesus, that we may grow closer to you and closer to each other, Lord. I also pray if there's anyone here today who is not rested in you alone for salvation, that they would turn to you, lay their burdens down to you, Lord Jesus, and that you would have your way in their heart and in their life. For your glory, Lord Jesus, your name, amen.